Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith and the new devotional, uh, Light for Today. Religious freedom is something a lot of Americans sometimes, well, they take for granted because it is enshrined in our Constitution, the First Amendment. But religious freedom throughout the world is on shaky ground. For instance, in Nigeria, Christians are, are really literally being martyred. Um, they are being massacred. Uh, there's persecution against Christians in Nicaragua, in North Korea, China, um, uh, most Muslim-majority countries. But even the so-called tolerant West, religious freedom has become fragile as believers are taken to court and businesses shut down or threatened when people publicly state their stance for marriage being between a man and a woman or the gender is determined by DNA, um, life begins at conception. All of these things are under the microscope, the legal microscope in the West. Um, in fact, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Religious Liberty warns that attacks on churches constitute the largest threat to religious li- liberty in 2024. So what's to be done? What is the state of religious freedom today? Well, Eric Patterson is the president of Religious Freedom, the Religious Freedom Institute in the nation's capital in D.C. The RFI says we can only be fully human when we are fully free to pursue answers to life's ultimate questions about purpose, destiny, origin, morality. All these issues are innately religious. Um, And I know a lot of people don't maybe don't see it as religious, but it is in religion that we find answers to these questions. So Eric joins me now. Um, Eric, first of all, thank you for, for joining me here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Thanks for having me, Lauren. It's a pleasure to be with you today. You know, I've kind of given sort of an introduction about the state of religious freedom here in the world and in the Western world and the United States. But in in general, what is your take of the state of religious freedom around the world and the globe today? Well, when it comes to international religious freedom, we're actually less free today by many indicators when it comes to religious freedom and other basic civil liberties and human rights than we were, say, 15 years ago. I mean, do you remember in the early 2000s, it actually looked like China was thawing. Churches were being built there, for yeah. instance. We'd had this democratic wave in the 90s and beyond in Central and Eastern Europe and in Latin America. And, and right at the heart of that was the, uh, a, a revival of religious faith and intensity. But what we've seen over the past 15 years is, for instance, the so-called BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and kind of other ones in that in that kind of second tier, places like Turkey, South Africa, we've seen them go in the exact opposite direction. More persecution of religious minorities today in Russia than we had a decade ago. Of course, whether you're a Muslim Uyghur or a Tibetan Buddhist or a Christian in China, it's worse today than it was 15 years ago. And it's even bad for religious majorities. You might say, oh, it's, it's tough to be a Baha'i or a Christian in Iran. You know, it's actually tough to be a faithful uh, Shia Muslim in the majority if, for instance, if you're a woman and the regime is just constantly crushing the life out of its citizenry and using a, a radical religious ideology to justify that. So on the world stage, there's actually many places, Nigeria, Nicaragua, you mentioned, where we're in worse shape today than we were 15 years ago. I want to bring up China because you mentioned China, and I was just reading an article not too long about uh, President Xi. And about a decade ago, like you mentioned, 10, 15 years ago, we were seeing Christianity grow by leaps and bounds in China. And the Communist Party, as I understood, 
is very fearful of Christianity for the same reasons the Romans were fearful of Christianity, because it was saying the government is not God. Caesar is not God. God is God. Jesus is God and overall. And I think China um, repeats a lot of those fears in Christianity. And you see this in Qi. And there was some an article talking about how there was this 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 sort of um, uh, reminiscence of the communist era that somehow it was really wonderful, you know. And, and President Xi is trying to go, well, I love working on the farm. I learned so much. And what's going on in China? Is it the fear that Christianity was going to grow by leaps and bounds? Well, it's amazing how Christianity has grown in China over the past generation. Uh, the counts vary from low tens of millions to hundreds of millions of people influenced by Christianity, people coming to faith and whatnot. And through what we call the the house church movement, but also people coming to Christ in the state-owned churches, which China does recognize some state-controlled religions, including uh, Protestant Christianity and Catholicism. And even in those churches, people were coming to faith, despite the fact that they were uh, under some government auspices. Uh, and, and of course, that shows just the spiritual power of the gospel. But at the same time, it's just like you said, the number one reason that totalitarian leaders cra- uh, crack down on Christianity is because Christians and other people of faith recognize an allegiance that is higher than the government. It is higher than the party. It is higher than whatever dictator happens to be in power. And that is a responsibility to alter ultimately what doesn't belong to Caesar, but what belongs to God. And that lack of allegiance to fully follow the party line in a place like China, that can be very dangerous. And Z rightfully recognizes that is a threat to his legitimacy. So, and I hear also that they're trying to usurp Christianity in terms of molding it in the image of communist China. So, yeah, I've heard stories about them trying to alter the Bible um, by trying to approve of the priests that the Vatican wants in China. Are all of these things happening in China? Yes. Uh, Some of these will be featured this week in Washington at the International Religious Freedom Summit. That'll bring close to a thousand experts and activists to Washington for two days of, of work and panels and collaboration. And the things that you just mentioned really are true. First, uh, China exports many of the Bibles that we receive in the West, but they have been tampering with the Bible. And we and I've documented this in a series of op-eds uh, from secondary sources where the Chinese are, are specifically saying, the government is saying, we're going to sinicize, you might say Chinify, the mm. Bible to make it in alignment with uh, party dictates. The, the, the Chinese government has long sought to control the, the, um, the promotion of religious elites. So they've intervened when it comes to, say, the successor to the Dalai Lama, Tibetan Buddhists. And when it comes to Christians in particular, they've cut a deal, but it's, it's a bad deal with Rome that China would, in essence, have to approve. There's more to it, but anyone who ascends to a senior, to, to a priest or a bishop position in China. And all of these types of things are the Chinese government slowly, carefully, insidiously, but very, very firmly trying to own, to shape, to control Christianity. It's very scary about the Bible because, for one, a lot of people don't read the Bible anyway. So if there's any alteration to it, I'm not just talking about people in the West, but 
particularly, you know, if you're a new Christian, even in China, if you're not familiar with the Bible, how do you know that it's been altered? I mean, you won't have any access to to the pure form. And then, you know, people who are, you know, a little bit more, you know, negative about the issue would say, well, you know, there's so many translations of the Bible, and I'm not going to get into that. But the idea is, like, how many people really would know What's been sinicized or Chinified uh, in the Bible? I mean, could you have? Do you have any examples? Well, the let, let me just say that what you're hitting on shows how religious freedom itself is a foundation for the right to assemble, the freedom of the press, the rights of conscience, freedom of speech. And and what I mean is, what is the best way to shine the light on what is true and what is not? What's the best way to look at the historical evidence, like you were mentioning about? You know, what's at the root of different translations, the thousands and thousands of texts that we have, the historic texts that go back to the time of Christ and whatnot. And, and of course, it's in an open society where people can investigate, where they can study, where they can look at these types of things. That And, and re- so religious freedom is actually right at the base of all that, the freedom to study, the, the freedom to pursue, the, the, the to look at different things. What the Chinese want to do is the Chinese government wants to control that. They control it through internet access. They control it through the publication. They control it by who has access to parts or all of the Bible. They control it by who's going to be the spokesperson speaking in those state-controlled churches. And so all of those elements make it so that they can shape the Bible. By the way, two generations ago, communists all thought, oh, religion will just die on the vine. Yeah, it's, right. It's superstition, yeah. right? They have come to realize how powerful it is. That's why they have to, to to figure out ways to dilute its message and control it. Well, the irony, though, of course, is now they're trying to replace it with being um, devoted and to the Communist Party. The, the, the religion, what you what you believe in is not um, is the only choice you have. You're going to worship something, and so I think that the Communist Party is kind of realizing um, what many, you know, totalitarian regimes have realized over the decades and the centuries is that you just replace one ideal with another, one form of worship with another, and they're competing against Christianity. And this is a very sad thing for communist regimes not to recognize or to recognize. Um, but I want to get to Nigeria because what's troubling about Nigeria is that the, the West doesn't seem to be caring about Nigeria and what's happening there. First of all, explain what's happening in Nigeria and yeah, what's so been the reaction yeah, so there's two things in Nigeria. At, at its base, we have religious violence, largely uh, radicalized or Islamist Muslims against their neighbors. And there's really two areas of this. In the north of the country, we have groups that are inspired by the Al-Qaeda's and the Islamic states. So groups like Boko Haram that you hear about in the news or Islamic State West African province. And for the past 15 years, they've been terrorizing the northern part of Nigeria. There's 100,000 people who have died. The first targets are actually their their moderate or kind of average citizen Sunni Muslims of their own mm. faith, but who mm-hmm. won't join them in the fight. And then their second target are Shia Muslims from the minority. And then their third target, obviously, are Christians. And so we've seen tens of thousands of people. We've seen churches burned, pastors attacked mosques burned if they're too moderate and the like and remember boko haram its name means no to western education what they're really saying is no to the judeo-christian civilization that the west represents now in the middle part of the country 
there's a uh, and think about Nigeria as a as a as a region that's kind of the size of Texas and Oklahoma geographically, mm-hmm. more or less. And so that's all happening in that northern part, in the middle of the country, where it's about 50-50 Christians and Muslims. We've seen year after year over the past several years uh, radical attacks by uh, jihadists, uh, by young men claiming uh, a jihadic type of approach that's killed about 4,000 Christians a year. Now, there are there are some Muslim deaths as well. There is some tit for tat, but it's about nine to one if you look at the statistics one way. And they target pastors, they target priests, they pack they target seminarians, they burn down churches. Now, here's the problem. We're told by the U.S. government, by, our, by for instance, the embassy in Abuja, mm-hmm. that this is all mm-hmm. due to climate change. That this what? is just, yes, the ambassador has said over and over, well, this is due to climate change. It's, it's because you have kind of pastoralists versus city dwellers, or you have herdsmen versus those in towns and villages, and they're fighting over scarce resources that become scarcer due to climate change. Well, you know, it's just not true. There are some of those economic elements there, and there are tribal elements of different people groups. Some are Muslim, some are Christian. But at but but if you're having climate change, you don't target churches, but not businesses. Yeah. You you yeah. target pastors, but not average citizens. And so we have seen this Islamist violence there. Is it true <laughs> the U.S. took Nigeria off? the list of countries of particular concern, as I understand it, did they, did they, and there was a lot of objection to this because it ignored all of the violence that was going on there. I mean, have they reinstated Nigeria on that list or not? They haven't. So the, under the 1998 International Religious Freedom Act, the U.S. is compelled, it's part of our law, Congress has directed that we take international religious freedom into account in our national security and foreign policy. And one of the things that happens is that the State Department issues a report every year on the state of religious freedom around the world. It's a great report. It's freely available online. And the a set of recommendations come forth about countries that should be labeled as country of particular concern. That's a, it's a term of art. And those are countries that then the U.S. government could, can choose to sanction in a variety of ways. And uh, under the Trump administration, Nigeria, because of all of this, this religion-motivated violence and the total lack of government response to it, Nigeria was put on that list mm. uh, under Secretary Mike Pompeo. But one of the first activities of the Biden administration was to pull it off. And there are those who believe that whether it's because of uh, Nigeria's petroleum wealth or its large standing in West Africa uh, or climate change or whatever, that it's a, it's a bad policy push them on this, and then it's perhaps not even a religious freedom issue. But if you are targeted for your religious identity, for murder, for torture, for rape, for exclusion, for the burning of your home or business, that is at its heart a religious freedom violation. And almost every group in the religious freedom and human rights space is calling for Nigeria to be put back on that. Are you frustrated at the Biden administration over this in itself because it seems very plain to a lot of people and to industries and to religious freedom institutes like yours and and open doors the same way that it's very clear that Nigeria is um, um, a bad actor um, in terms of, you know, religious freedom. Yeah, that's right. And what's worrying is that, frankly, the whole region of West Africa is is under a lot of pressure 
many of the governments there, places like Burkina Faso and others, they've had coups in recent years. The reason that they've had the coups is because they've the 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 people have felt like the government hasn't been strong enough in fighting against the violent Islamists that are flooding into their countries. Burkina Faso has lost 40% of its land to those violent jihadists. And so what we've seen is a set of military coups uh, in, in uh, six of them in the past three years in the region. And largely it's a concern shared by Christians and by, by I, I, hate, I hate to say the word moderate because it sounds demeaning, but by, by average Muslim citizens who are patriots that our countries are under assault by these terrorists. The West, particularly France, the US and the UK are not helping us. We need a stronger hand at the tiller to push back on these terrorists. And, and that's Nigeria is just one case. Mali has this, Burkina Faso has this, other countries are facing this in the region. Why does, why does the Biden administration, why doesn't it show a stronger hand um, in, uh, in Nigeria? Why this, this sort of almost ignoring what's going on in this country? Yeah, I, well, for one thing, I don't think that they have a plan. And I think that uh, when it's come to foreign policy over the last couple of years, there it's hard to point to a, a coherent global perspective when it comes to what America's interests are and how do we be a force for stability for the rule of law around the world. We saw that with the pullout of Afghanistan, which was not just destabilizing for that country, but for the entire region. We've seen it in quaffling and other areas around the world, kind of an inability to figure out what to do with Nicaragua. And when it comes to Nigeria, I think that what happens is, is that many in our, in our foreign policy establishment just kind of hope that this violence will go away. They know that Nigerian institutions are, uh, don't always work, that there's high levels of corruption in some parts, and they feel like they can't wrap their heads around it. But they also want to just exclude the religious dimension, kind of hope that it goes away. What I'd offer is this. A constructive approach to Nigeria would bring together a coalition of actors like the United States, the Brits, and like the people in the Middle East who crushed ISIS. That's that's governments like Jordan and others who actively fought against ISIS. Bring them to Nigeria and, and as a coalition with elements from the Nigerian government go after the terrorists and stop them, create an international partnership because what's happening in Nigeria is is inflaming all of West Africa. But I'm also want to go, how much is what's happening in Nigeria and um, is it being exacerbated um, and inflamed by what's happening in Israel, um, in the Israel's war with, in, uh, against Hamas? Yeah, I don't think so. Some, and I say that because we have, 15 years of this type of terrorism in northern Nigeria. Mm-hmm. We have decades of back and forth in the middle belt, but it's it's certainly accelerated over the past five years. So I'd say the Nigerian problem is its own problem. But I will say that, that the way that Nigeria ties to larger uh, violent Islamism around the world is, is that when you have when you have groups like Al-Qaeda, you have groups like Daesh or so-called Islamic State, when you have groups like uh, Hamas, whenever they have a victory, it encourages uh, other groups to kind of stick with their fight and actually to do even more uh, more damage directed at civilians. And so that's something that we should always be vigilant about is to recognize that when there's a terrorist victory in one place, 
it inspires other guys to come out of their holes, to come out of the closet, to come out of the places where they're hiding and to do something equally or more destructive. Mm. Um, we're going to take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, talking with Eric Patterson, who is the president of the Religious Freedom Institute in D.C. We'll, we'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lighthouse today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash lighthouse. Betterhelp.com slash lighthouse. And we're back talking with Eric Patterson. He's the president of the Religious Freedom Institute. Um, This is... um, it, so the state of religious freedom around the globe is really on shaky ground. That's all I can say at this point. Um, there are many bad actors around the country. What's happening in Israel uh, with Hamas, um, Eric, would you call this a religious freedom issue or is it just simply a security issue or a survival um, issue for Israel? What would you what would you call this? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd put a single label on it, but I'd point to a couple of things. One of the things I'd point to is just this question about whether it's Hamas or Israel is, are we protecting as much as we can um, sacred spaces? You know, when Hamas was given full authority to run Gaza more than a decade ago, one of the first things they did was to pull out the bulldozers and destroy the synagogues that were on the land. And it's just one of a series of examples of Hamas as being a, a violent religious ideology that's way beyond um, what what most of their their neighbors, their co-religionists around the world feel comfortable. Second part of that is, what, what how do we train our children? You know, a big part of our religious faith in any faith tradition is how do we train up our children so that they um, live up to the best virtues of our faith tradition? And it's just hard to imagine how a curriculum like Hamas teaches its kids that dehumanizes Jews, that that calls for the eradication of Israel, and they teach this for young children, this, this vitriolic hate, um, that that is a violation in the sense of the very spirit of religious freedom, which at its heart it calls for pluralism and tolerance and civility. It, not that we don't have deep, deep disagreements, theological disagreements and others, but we should never be, there. it's not at the core of Christianity or Judaism or Islam. We should never be calling um, another human being an animal, subhuman, calling for their eradication, et cetera. You know, it's very interesting. One of the most chilling reports from the um, Hamas invasion of Israel was when a Hamas soldier called his parents in Gaza celebrating that he had just killed a few Jews. I mean, killing and he was just on the phone saying i just killed like seven jews or something i'm not, I'm not sure what the number was but it was a it was you know even if it was one or two 
and and, and the, the parents' reaction was, oh, I wish I could have see, been there to see you do that. It's like, oh, my goodness. It's not like he just won, won NASCAR or something like that. I mean, it was this is killing of human beings, and they're celebrating this. I mean, this yeah. is, yeah, I mean, you, just your reaction to that. Yeah, it, it is clearly, uh, I mean, that's just that's just evil, right? And one of the, the things that we should just be looking for it, in any case around the world is whether it's the kind of things that we're hearing come out of the, the radical Hindu nationalists in India, or in this case in Gaza, or what we're seeing in Nigeria, is any time that our fellow human beings who are created in the image of God are dehumanized and that there's a reveling in violence against them, in their pain, in their suffering. Um, by the way, this this violates the core tenets of uh, that you find in every religion, but it, it's, it's particularly abhorrent from the Christian perspective of recognizing that every person is made in the image and likeness of God. Um, I, we could stay on Israel. We could stay on a lot of the, um, you know, entire global, uh, you know, sort of third world um elements here, but I want to move on to the Western world because one of the things that is continually coming into the uh, news is how in the Western world, the kind of persecution you're dealing with is legal. You've got uh, Paivi Rasanan, who is a um, member of the parliament in Finland, and she is now going through a third court case because the government or the prosecution uh, will just not leave this alone. Explain yeah, so what's happening specific- with her. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, explain what's happening with her. Yeah, so in this specific case, we're talking about um, a, a member of parliament as well as her pastor and their their statements in favor of traditional sexual identity, traditional marriage and life. And it's there's some specific quotes, but it really goes back. They have a, they have a, a trajectory that goes back 20 years to things that were used in their church, um, study materials and whatnot. And not once, but twice, with help from Alliance Defending Freedom International, uh, she has won in the courts there and st- uh, as recently as tw- November of 2023. And stunningly, the state prosecutor has said, that's not good enough for me. I'm going to go after her again and has launched a third lawsuit. What is the reason behind going after her? Um, I could think of a lot of reasons, but what is the reason for for continually going after her? Well, I think that this shows us the game plan of of particularly anti-Christian elements. The game plan is this. Bully someone. Bully them publicly. Get lots of news about it. Hammer away, hammer away, hammer away. If you lose, just start it over again using the power of the state. Whether it's her, whether it's the baker Jack Phillips in Colorado, who's now on his third experience of going through a, a, a juridical process, the the point is that the, that these anti-faith elements on the hard left, what they want to do is they want to bully someone, bludgeon them, and and send a message, a shockwave out through society that says, "This could be you, you Christians, you keep your mouth shut." You people of faith have traditional views on marriage, life, family, etc. You keep your mouth shut. If you don't, we will come after you. And 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 that this harassment is not meant to just hurt that single individual. It's meant to send a a, a shock wave across the site. You know, Kathy Miller, another baker, um, she's in uh, California, and I just did a story on her and the 
California Civil Rights um, Department uh, lost their case against her, but they appealed. And so she's fighting again. And this is, again, what you're talking about. It's bullying. It's going back and appealing. But it's a very interesting case because they said that she violated the state's um, UNRU, which is a civil rights code in the state. But the things they list, the characteristics they list as protected characteristics includes religion. And so the very organization that is supposed to be protecting her now is persecuting her, uh, prosecuting, well, both, I think. What is your take on this? Is that you've got, a, they've got these hierarchy of values within the Western world that says, this is the thing that you cannot trump. Everything else has to fall to that. What's your take? Well, you've, you've really captured something here, Lauren, and that is, is that the old debates, and they weren't that long ago, about uh, how to think about religious freedom where people would say, well, we should have separation of church and state, right? And so what that means is that the government shouldn't be using its its power to proselytize children by teaching them Christianity in public schools or things. Now, of course, none of that was really happening that way. We had a country that was founded on a lot of you know, Judeo-Christian norms. The founding fathers expected that that would be a part of the mix of our social and political life. It wasn't that everyone was indoctrinated or catechized in public school or in public institutions. It was a part of the air that we breathed. And so through, but, but after World War II, we started having case after case, chipping away at that social consensus saying, okay, we need to have some sort more separation here to, to kind of protect this space for individual conscience or something. It, it, you and I both know that it was, that it was exaggerated, but that is, but the opposite is what's happening today. Mm-hmm. The op- what's happening today is saying we're going to use the power of government to coerce you on your fundamental beliefs. And if you will not buy into the new ideology on sexual orientation and gender identity in particular, if you will not affirm this new orthodoxy, and it's an orthodoxy that says if you offend someone on their, on their sexual identity, then, then you can go to jail for hate speech. We are going to bring the full power of government smashing down on you. And that's, that's the chilling part where we are today. That's what's happened in California. That's what's happened with Colorado's so-called Human Rights Commission. And, and it really is a cancer that we've got to, that we've got to stop. Um, before we get to the crisis toolkit, I want to ask you, how far are we away or how close are we to having someone actually call the Bible hate speech and try to get it um, banned? Well, we, we, we certainly see individual cases of that happen around the country. We've seen cases where um, you're told that your religious convictions don't don't matter in this case. There's a whole set of the 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 the, the work that's being done on the so-called Equality Act, for instance, would basically gut part of our constitutional order. We have at the national level and in most states, something called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And all it does is explicitly say what I think almost any of the founding fathers would have agreed with. And that is that when it comes to religious principles, that we that those, that those are protected by the first amendment, by our constitutional order, when people are making decisions. But the Equality Act says, well, I don't know, when it comes to transgender, when it comes to sexual orientation and gender ideologies, that there is no religion is off the table. Mm 
Mm. You cannot bring your religious convictions, say if you're a doctor, to work with you about what you're going to do and not do. If you're a teacher, you can't bring your religious convictions that there really are boys and there really are girls. No, you have to go with whatever imagined identity the person, the child wants to have. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the the path that we're on is one, unless we stop it, and I believe we can, is that these uh, hard left elites, these anti-faith elites are saying your 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 fundamental religious convictions, that's the one thing you cannot bring into the public square. But they are bringing their religious beliefs into the public square. And see, that's what's not being acknowledged, that all of these issues of what's what's moral what's not moral what's um what's what's you know what's the purpose of life all of this has religious undertones you science can't tell you what the purpose of life is only religion and philosophy can tell you so that's a religious view that they're taking to the public square why is it that 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 idea that says your religion doesn't belong to public square but they're not acknowledging that secular humanism is a religion. Yeah, I think that you're exactly right. That the that these whether they're an, a, an atheistic or humanistic or or a variety of other or or a taking a traditional religious faith and turning its sexual mores and ethics upside down and saying anything goes, you just have to love everybody and accept them. All of those ideologies, in a sense, are clearly comprehensive worldviews. In a sense, they are religious. And so, but the, here's the difference. Traditional religions, Christianity says there is an authority outside of me. And that authority is God and Holy Scripture. And that authority says that no matter what I feel, there is a fundamental truth. There is a reality. And Christians believe that that has permeated the world through what we call natural law or common grace. And that it really is true that there's a difference between boys and girls, that there really is a uh, that there's and and we see it. There's no society, for instance, where you get a medal for murdering your mother. Right. Or stealing from your sister. And that's because there actually is a fundamental moral reality, just like there's a physical reality that we see in gravity. The other side says, no. Fundamental reality is what I say it is. If I want to be a girl today. I can be a girl today. If I want to be X, Y, Z today, I can be that. And how dare you tell me otherwise? So it is a religion. It's it, it's the same religion that goes back to the fall, where where humanity puts itself idolatrous, idolatrously at the center and makes religion conform around it. That's what that's that's the fundamental conflict of our time. Well, we do have hope. I mean, the Religious Freedom Institute does have hope because you've got something called the crisis toolkit for religious institutions. What is this? Yeah, these are really crisis prevention toolkits. And what we do is we've created a set of toolkits for churches, for faith-based nonprofits, for religion-driven organizations that will help them go through their bylaws, their contract policy, how they hire, how they look for licensure and accreditation, how they do communications, particularly in terms of these types of issues, or if they have an internal crisis, how do they do community engagement? And also we have a security toolkit that will walk them through some of the basics of lessons learned um, from churches that have been attacked or from synagogues or other houses of worship that have been attacked. All of these tools are designed to help the many, many um, small churches in America, the nonprofits, 
the Christian K to five school, et cetera, to, to, for them to take the first steps towards protecting themselves in the litigi uh, litigious environment that we live in today. Does, does it guarantee or does it help lessen the likelihood that they will be taken to court for some reason? Well, you can never stop everything. We will point them right to legal counsel with some of our great allies in the space as needed. But what the, we can do a training with groups that's free to them. And we've done this all across America. And we have many testimonials about, wow, this saved us thousands and thousands of dollars, but it also showed us where where our vulnerabilities were. So for instance, just an example, think about how many uh, evangelical churches have either a preschool or a K-2 or some sort of uh, other entity that they support. Maybe legally it's in a little bit of a gray area. How do they, have they been very careful in how they hire part-time teachers, for instance? You know, that's a, that's a type of vulnerability. Does, does every person who works for them, janitor, cook, part-time staff, have all of those people signed on to the fundamental core convictions that that church or that faith-based organization holds to? So it's things like that. That's Those are those common sense protections. And I got to tell you, so, so many are just operating on goodwill yeah. rather than on <laughs> policies. Wow, very interesting stuff. And Eric, how do people find out more about the Crisis Toolkit um, and and how it works? Sure, they can go right to our website. It's religiousfreedominstitute.org. And we have, the toolkits are available there. And there's a contact link there where they could reach us directly if they want to do a seminar in their church or for a denominational entity. They'll also find some other things there. We've been reporting on attacks on churches. We've been reporting on attacks on synagogues since October 7th. We've been reporting on attacks on uh, pregnancy resource centers over the past couple of years. And so all of these are also designed to help people to be be vigilant in the time in which we live. All right. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's really been an education and enlightening. Thank you so much. Lauren, you're welcome. Thanks. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a very blessed day. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.